Welcome, church family, uh, everybody online, friends, all of you who are joining us uh, online, Facebook Live, YouTube, or in person tonight. Uh, good to see all of you. Welcome. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church, luckiest man alive. Uh, Melissa Smith uh, was leading worship uh, for us. Rod uh, Ellis is enjoying some very uh, uh, much-deserved time away with his family. So God bless Rod. He's probably watching. God bless you, Rod. We love you, brother. Uh, it is an important day in the life of our church. We are making a decision regarding a new staff member, Ben Norid for our uh, technical communications director. So uh, everybody be in prayer. We want the Lord's will for Ben, his wife Haley, and for our church. Open your Bibles to Psalm 148. Let's jump right in. Gosh, I love you guys so much. There are members of this church family that I've known for years and years and years and haven't seen you now in months and months and months. And uh, it's just a reality of the times that we're living in. I understand why so many of you are still online, and, uh, and I encourage you to stay faithful online. Thank you for being uh, faithful to, uh, to join us uh, in this way. I know that when we can all be together again, we will, but, but, but you make your best decisions. Some of you uh, can and are coming on back in person. We are at uh, 8 o'clock now, 9.30 and 11 o'clock Sunday morning, both online and in person here at the church, and I expect we'll add a fourth 9.30 sanctuary service real, real soon just so we can get more people in and maintain social distance. We're just doing the best we can with one hand tied behind our back, <laughs> everything we do. But it's worth it. It's worth it to be uh, the people of God and to praise him. Psalm 148, just one standalone message uh, this week, uh, preparing a message series. We'll start in November called One Blood on the Gospel and Race. But for now, let's talk about what it means to praise the Lord from Psalm 148. You ever heard that I don't know if it's a thought exercise or just a philosophical uh, question to ponder. Have you ever heard anybody say, if a tree fell in the forest and nobody was there to hear it, would it make a sound? You ever thought about that? Have you heard that? Yeah. In the house. What do y'all think? If a tree fell in the forest and there was nobody there to hear it, would it make a sound? Warren, you've probably studied this phenomenon. What do you think? Yes, No. Warren says yes. If Warren says yes, you know, I'm saying yes uh, with Warren. I don't know. I think it's probably one of those yes-no things, you know, kind of a yes-no thing. It depends on your definition of sound uh, because we know that the tree falling would still, you know, uh, create sound waves. Now, if nobody's there to register or hear those waves, but so it's probably a yes-no thing. I think Warren's correct. I think it's yes. I think you could argue no, but I think the important thing to recognize with the question itself is the way that it reveals um, a basic human centeredness in our thinking. In other words, for us, we just sort of worry about or wonder about what happens when we're not there. Because for the most part, we think that the world orbits somehow around us. I, I think this, I live in the woods, so I've thought about this a lot. If I'm not there uh, to hear the tree fall, does the tree fall and, and make a sound? I, I don't know, but it will fall across my driveway. I know that much. I don't have to be there. It will fall across my driveway. I, I, I know that. It's like the Toy Story phenomenon. Y'all seen the movie Toy Story? When the people aren't there, the toys are up running around, you know, having adventures, driving cars. But, but when the people come back, they just, you know, lay down like toys again. You just kind of wonder what happens when we're not there. My dog is in the house tonight because it looked like it might storm, and so I put her in the house. So she's in the house, and we're not there. I wonder what she's doing. Like, is she, you know, cooking on the stove? Would she make 
you know, uh, pizza bites in the microwave. I mean, I don't know. She probably will take a nap on my bed because I know she does that when I'm not there. But, but again, it's just that sort of incomprehensible mystery for us because we tend to think that we are at the center of things. Psalm 148 is a beautiful reminder that we are not at the center of things. We're not at the center of anything, not even our own lives. Psalm 148 gives us this beautiful picture of this giant universal song of praise that is engaged by the entire non-human creation. Everything that's not us is altogether unified in giving beautiful praise to the Lord. And it has nothing to do with us except that we are invited into the song of praise. That is what makes us unique. We're we're the only creatures, only thing that God has made that has that ability to withhold our praise. But indeed, sometimes we do. Seth, can you help me get my slides up? Uh, Let me get to... Yeah, this is what we want right here. Yeah, Psalm 148 has this one Hebrew word over, over, and over. And the word hallelujah is a Hebrew word. Now, if you're taking part in our Holy Roar small group uh, study series right now, then you've studied this word just last week. Hallelujah is one of the words in the Old Testament that is frequently simply translated into English by the word praise. Or, or, or praise the Lord. But understand, hallelujah is actually a Hebrew word. It's a compound word, which means it's, it's a combination of two words. Hallelujah is a form of the Hebrew uh, verb uh, hallel, which means to shine, to boast in, to, to, to celebrate, uh, to take delight in the positive attributes, that, that, that sort of thing. And then uh, Yah is just added at the end, Hallelu. And then Yah is a shortened version of God's unpronounceable name from the Old Testament, Yahweh, the name that God whispered to Moses at the burning bush. So Hallelujah is typically translated Praise the Lord, praise God, that that sort of thing. Now, we often use hallelujah more as, uh, what's it called, an interjection, where you just say hallelujah. You know, like if if your favorite team wins the, you know, the the, the Super Bowl, or if you pass your physics test, or whatever it is, like hallelujah. Or in church, people's just shouting hallelujah. We think of it as a word like that to shout or to repeat, as if the word itself is praise. But, But understand, it's not really... Really, an interjection. It's more of a what's the word for command? Command imperative. There you go. It's an imperative verb, which means it's less a word just to repeat hallelujah, and it is a command to obey. In other words, when it says praise the Lord, it's not really just saying praise the Lord. It's saying praise the Lord, like you praise the Lord. It's it's a command to obey. You see that? And that changes the way you're going to read Psalm 148 because the word hallelujah is repeated over and over and over in this psalm. And every time it occurs, it's, it's not really just a inter, you know, an interjection like, praise the Lord. It is a command, praise the Lord. Are you with me? So let's read together. I love this chapter, you guys. Y'all know I am a science fanatic. I I, I love science. And the science lover in me just geeks out with chapters like this. I love, I just love Psalm 148. Read it with me. Psalm 148. Count the times that you'll find the, the phrase praise the Lord. Again, that's where you find the Hebrew 
uh, word hallelujah. Let's start. Verse 1, Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. Praise him, sun, moon. Praise him, all you twinkling stars. Praise him, skies above. Praise him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. I love it. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. Praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the ocean depths, fire, hail, snow, clouds, wind and weather that obey him, mountains, hills, fruit trees, all cedars, wild animals and all livestock, small scurrying animals and birds, kings of the earth and all people, rulers and judges of the earth, men, women, old men, children, let them all praise the name of the Lord. For his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and heaven. He has made his people strong, honoring his faithful ones, the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. Awesome. How many praise the Lord? Did you count? Anybody count? 13. Yeah, 13. Isn't that amazing? Uh, 13, 12 or 13, it depends on how you count. But yeah, it's amazing. 13 times you're commanded to praise him. As I say, it's just one big universal song with all the non-human creation already engaged, already praising, already singing, and you're just being invited to please join this song. Please praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, while we are uh, you know, thinking about the wonders of creation, I invite you to feast your eyes on this object of amazement. This is... Uh, this is, I guess you'd call it Cheeto Jesus. It's a Cheeto. Uh, on the uh, internet, you can look it up under Jesus, you know, like Jesus, like Jesus, Jesus. There are actually a lot of these uh, Cheeto Jesuses being found these days, and, and, and people freak out over these. Um, hmm, do you see Jesus here? I mean, I see a Cheeto. I see a Cheeto, and honestly, if I'm with a bag of Cheetos, I would, I would already have swallowed. I would have eaten this thing already. But somebody stopped because they saw Jesus here. Uh, I guess I can kind of see a, a figure maybe praying, maybe. But if I flipped it around, it could also be maybe a capital letter E. It could also be like a dog on its hind legs. I mean, it could be nearly anything, but there are people who insist, no, this is Jesus it's Jesus. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that pops up all the time. And people really do get real excited about these things. The person who found this particular Cheeto Jesus is a youth minister, and he used it. You know, he, he used it you know, to inspire young people to, you know, to find Jesus in the everyday things of their lives. Okay, I, I, I get that. I, I get that. I, I understand that desire to find Jesus, to know that he's involved in the small parts of our lives, but, but come on, you know? Uh, recently on, uh, on eBay, somebody bought a grilled cheese sandwich that was burnt. It was 10 years old. But they say that in the burnt, you know, grilled cheese, you can see the face of the Virgin Mary, and it sold for like $28,000. Like a 10-year-old grilled cheese with the face of Virgin Mary. You know? 
Like, can you explain to me these people? I, 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 I really don't. Honestly, it, it's the kind of thing that just sort of flies right out my nose. I know what y'all are thinking, like, hey, it'll be really funny. Let's go on eBay and buy that, you know, Cheeto Jesus for Pastor Tim. Just don't. No, just don't. It's not that uh, I don't really want to judge people who get excited about this kind of thing. Uh, as I say, I, I think I understand the impulse. I think we do want to know that there is this God who is very involved in the small details of our lives. In the last few months, my wife Casey and I have really been praying for our son. He's graduated seminary, been looking for a, a ministry position, and we just prayed and prayed and prayed. My wife can lay awake at night praying and worrying. My wife worries. And my wife worries in, in incredible detail. Like, like she can think of things to worry about that I would never think to worry about. But the beautiful thing is that in, in one of the ways that the Holy Spirit has ministered to Casey is he's just re revealed himself and reminded her that, that God himself is a God of detail. So as much as she can worry in detail, God is really, really good at working out all of the details of our lives. He is a God that is faithful down to the very smallest aspect of your life. So I understand that and I celebrate that. He knows the number of hairs on my head. Beyond that, he knows the number of protons in my body. He knows the atoms. I mean, there is no tiny detail of my life of which he is not completely aware and, and, and actually also completely sustaining me, providing for me, holding me together. I know that he is a God of incredible detail, a God of smallness. But I guess what kind of depresses me about this kind of thing is that in our culture, in U.S. culture, this is the kind of thing that people get really, really excited about. A Cheeto Jesus or the face of Virgin Mary in a, in a burnt grilled cheese, or also recently, Jesus' face appearing on a fish stick. Like people go bananas over this sort of thing. And I just want to stop. I kind of want to call you back to Psalm 148, where it says, this God, his glory towers, his glory towers over earth and heaven. This is a God of towering glory. This is the God who split the Red Sea for the children of Israel, the God who led them through the wilderness with a white tornado and a pillar of fire at night. This is the Jesus who could walk on water, who could raise the dead, heal the blind. I mean, understand, he, he, could, he could make uh, blind eyes see, deaf ears to hear, crippled legs to walk. I mean, this is a God of incredible power. This is a God who simply spoke light into existence, the sun, the moon, the stars, the vastness of outer space, the God who is the master of all of that. But somehow, somehow, this God of such infinite glory, towering glory, there's people in our world these days who just want to get excited about a Cheeto as if this is all God's got, as if this is a miracle. A miracle. Okay, I, I, call it a miracle if you want. I, I see a Cheeto. I see a Cheeto. And I honestly think that some people really would rather have like Cheeto Jesus. They want a God that they can keep in a Ziploc bag or the freezer. They want a God that they can pull out that might help them win at bingo 
or a guy that might, you know, help them pass a test or, or get their son a job. I mean, you know, that's sort of our, our need for God. We just want to be able to sort of have him in our back pocket, pull him out when we need him. We like a God that we can control, that we can manipulate. We like a God who might be small enough to serve us. You understand? But this is not the God of towering glory that you find in Psalm 148. Do you understand? God is a God who is worthy of praise and awesome in all of his ways. Now, I know that sounds like churchy language, but that's not churchy language. This is doxological language. This is the language of praise. God is worthy of praise. What is praise? Praise itself is to ascribe worth. To, to determine the worth. It, it's the same word we get for appraise. You take a, a diamond ring to be appraised and somebody will tell you what it's worth. And so God himself is worthy of your praise. He, he's worthy and to praise him is to recognize his worth, his greatness, his towering glory, his blazing holiness. Do you understand? He is a God who is awesome in all of his ways. I know, I know. A little Cheeto Jesus will perhaps be sort of a magical good luck charm for you, but he's not gonna try to, you know, actually be the Lord of your life. But that's not how any of this works. He is an awesome God, awesome in all of his ways. And you cannot, you must not even imagine that you're going to shrink him down to your size. You with me? God is a God who is worthy of praise and awesome, magnificent in all his ways, infinitely awesome. I, I have a, a, a young woman in my life whom, whom I have known and loved for years who is an atheist. And, and we've had the discussion about God and his existence and, and, and my love for God and my belief in the Lord. Um, and uh, this is one of the things that she'll, she'll question me on. It's one of the things that, that, that is a sticking point for her. Her question, again, she's an atheist, but she's a serious thinker, and I love her. And her question is that a God who needs our praise doesn't sound like very much of a God. That's what she would say. She actually once said that it sounds more like, is it like the Wicked Witch in Snow White who stands in front of the mirror and says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all, you know, as if God somehow needs to be told over and over and over by his creatures that he's great, that, that, that he's glorious. That's her question. Why would God need our praise? Why would he require our, our, our praise? For her, that sounds like an, an, an egomaniacal God, a self-centered God. I mean, what kind of being just likes to be told that he's magnificent? All right, that's not what praise is, and that's not at all what God is like. You understand? But praise itself, uh, it is not that God needs our praise. God is glorious whether or not you think he's glorious or not. God himself is worthy of praise whether or not you ever praise him. And your praise doesn't add anything to his magnificence. Your praise doesn't in, in any way add to his own sense of who he is. You understand, God doesn't need or require your praise. Let's just make that clear. You are dust, literal dust, and God is God. 
And so there's nothing that you can do to add to his worth. So your praise isn't something that God needs, that God you know, somehow is going to get his feelings hurt. If, if you don't think he's wonderful, that, that's not at all what we're talking about here. We're talking about a God who is himself a God worthy of praise and magnificent in all his ways. See, praise itself is not something that you just give because you think somebody wants it. If you're doing that, you're not actually worshiping, you're trying to manipulate, and that's not what we're talking about here. Praise actually always has to do with enjoyment. Understand, you praise what you enjoy. Just think about that. The things that you love, the things that I love, I want to share with other people. I, I, I always am like that. My wife is like this. The other night I was reading and the sun was going down. And have y'all seen the planet Mars in the last couple of weeks? It just burns crimson red in the sky. And it is so incredibly beautiful. So my wife's like, hey, hey, come here, come here. Look at this, look at this, look at this. You understand? She's enjoying that. And there's something about the enjoyment that just longs to be shared. We praise the things that we enjoy. Oh my goodness, the, the things that I enjoy, uh, uh, praise just overflows from enjoyment. Whether it is, you know, the, 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 the planet Mars rising in the evening sky, blazing red, it's just so glorious, or uh, an amazing sunrise, or, 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 or the sunset across the water. Oh, I, I love that so much. And so praise just bubbles up out of that joy, out of that thrill of, of beauty, of something that just absolutely breaks your heart with, with, with its glory. But it's not always something so magnificent as that. It, it can be, in my case, the smell of my wife's hair is just so magnificent to me. The, the taste of Cheney's peach ice cream is amazing to, to, to me. The, the garlic parmesan fries at Burger and Bowl. Oh my goodness, if you don't know where to eat today on Sunday, I'm encouraging you, go there. You understand? Because I, I enjoy these things, and so there's just this part of me that just automatically praises these things. And, and, I, and I long to share these things with others. It just, it just bubbles out. It, it just continues to. Praise is the spontaneous overflow of enjoyment. D does that make sense? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Praise just bubbles up. It, it's just spontaneous. It's not something that you should have to, you know, stretch and eat a good breakfast in order to project. No, it's just spontaneous. You praise what you enjoy. So here's the trick. You must enjoy God. God himself is to be enjoyed. And I'm afraid that a lot of religious people have never gotten that message. But for a lot of us, God is more to be endured. So we come to church, and it's not this spontaneous overflow of enjoyment. For us, it is more this drudgery to endure. I mean, this is how we go through life. I mean, we call ourselves Christians, but we look like we were, you know, like baptized in vinegar. We are so sour, and we are so joyless. And for that reason, so very void of praise and enjoyment in our Christian lives. But if Psalm 48 tells you nothing else, it's just that all of creation is, is wrapped up in this incredible song of delight. It's, it's beautiful. It's joyful. It, it's fun. It's magnificent. 
works. But understand, if you don't enjoy God, you won't praise him. You won't. I mean, you may say words. You may say hallelujah. You know, I mean, you may lift your hand because other people lift their hands. But if you don't enjoy God, you will never praise him because praise is a spontaneous overflow of, of enjoyment. And if you don't praise him, you'll start to give ultimate worth to unworthy things. See, you're kind of wired to worship. You're wired to praise him. And if you don't give your praise to the only God who is worthy of it, you will inevitably begin to give that ultimate worth to unworthy things. This is exactly what the first chapter of Romans says. When they refused to give glory to, to God, instead they turned then and began to give glory to inanimate things, to idols that they have made, to things of the earth. And this is exactly what we do. Whatever it is that you enjoy that's not God, you're inevitably going to put that in the central place of your life. For some of you, it's money. For some of you, it's your health. For some of you, it's your family. I mean, especially in, in, in Christian churches, we make an idol of family. Family's wonderful. I love my son. I love my wife. But they must not take the place of God. You understand, whatever it, it is that you give ultimate worth to, that becomes the object of your praise. But I'm telling you, your aim in life, your purpose in life is to find joy in God, to enjoy him. When you enjoy him, you will praise him. If you don't enjoy him, you won't praise him. If you don't praise him, you will inevitably begin to give that ultimate worth to things that are not worthy. So understand that there is this universal concert of praise going on all the time, whether you're a part of it or not. With or without you, it's, it's not about you. It's not even that it has anything to do with you. Praise the Lord, you're commanded. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all the armies of heaven. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you twinkling stars. Praise him, skies above, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command. They came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. Praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the ocean depths, and on and on it goes. Non-human creation already just wrapped up in praising him. You think, well, I don't really know how that works. I don't really understand how non-human things can praise the Lord. Well, yeah, I was afraid that that's what you would say. Maybe that's the part that you're missing. Maybe you don't really understand what praise is. We've said that it's enjoyment, it's, it's delight. It is really understanding who God is and, and, and what he's worth. Probably what gets us stuck is that we sort of want to just praise God still in self-centered ways. Like we like to thank him for what he's done for us. You know, we count our many blessings, name them one by one, and that's a very important practice. But I'm telling you, God is good whether he's good to me or not. God is good whether or not my life is good. And, and God is a great and worthy God no matter what happens to me, no, no matter what kind of luck I have. Do you understand? God is to be praised apart from anything that he does for you and, and for me. He's still God. But he's so good. He's so worthy, awesome in all of his ways. 
My, my friend, the atheist, who wonders about this God who needs praise. Oh, it's not that he needs praise, but how can you not praise him? I, I know you got your Cheeto Jesus, you know, probably in a Ziploc bag, but, but there are so many just miracles of creation. Uh, I, mean, I mean, literally right, like right under your nose. I mean, let's talk about let's talk about mine. Let's talk about noses for, for a minute. I mean, your 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 nose, in the course of a given day, is going to breathe in and breathe out like 440 cubic feet of air. It's just this amazing quantity of air that that you take in, you know, it's just into your body through your nose. And the air goes down into your lungs. Do you understand that your lungs have something like 40 times, 40 times the surface area of your whole body? Like, like the surface area of my lungs is 40 times the surface area of my whole body. And it's all contained right here in, in, in my rib cage. That, that's just my lungs. And, and God made me that way. God designed me that way. It's it's. It's just beyond comprehension. The lungs take the oxygen, you know, of course, into your body. And, and there the lungs are very vascular. The blood vessels come there. And there the oxygen is, is taken into the blood cells and then distributed through your body through a system of veins and arteries. Do you understand that if we took all the veins, arteries, capillaries in your body and laid them end to end, you have over 100,000 miles you have over 100,000 miles of blood vessels in your, in your body, in your one body, 100,000 miles. That means that just your blood vessels, if we laid them end to end, would wrap around the equator of the earth four times. Like, we're just talking about your body, the way you are fearfully and wonderfully made by this God who is awesome in all of his ways. Did I mention that? So it's not really a matter of, man, you know, this, this egomaniacal God who needs our praise, who requires our praise. Are you kidding me? He doesn't need anything from you. The, the breath that you take into your lungs is borrowed from his creation. I mean, you don't have anything to give him that he hasn't already given you. And he is glorious and he is worthy. And when you understand that, when you begin to understand that, when you begin to take delight in him, I'm telling you, the praise just overflows from there. So what exactly does it look like? What does praise look like? Well, again, I take you back to Psalm 148. The fact that it's non-human creation, you think, well, how's that going to help me? I'm human creation. Well, I think you can learn a lot from creation itself because according to Psalm 148, all of God's creation praises him perfectly. It praises him perfectly. The sun, the moon, the stars, the, the skies, the vapors high above the clouds, understand, the fire, the hail, the snow, the clouds, the wind, the weather that obey him, mountain hills, fruit trees, wild animals, livestock, all of these things praise him perfectly. Praise the Lord, the psalm says, praise the Lord. Everything praises him perfectly except for me and you. In all of creation, we're the only ones that require the command, hey, praise the Lord. We're the only ones that need that. We're the only ones that have to be prompted. We're the only ones who somehow stand smack dab in the middle of a magnificent creation and we're somehow bored by it all, blind to it all, absolutely immune to the glory of it all. So 
What does it mean to, to praise him? I, I, I would say just a few things. First off, I think it means to take your intended place in the world. You just take your place. You recognize your place. You are one of the creatures that God has made. And you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and you take your place. You, you fulfill your divine purpose. See, everything else in all creation already does this. You don't have to, you know, like teach butterflies how to fly. You don't have to teach hummingbirds how to, you know, take the nectar from flowers. You don't have to teach the dolphins how to be dolphins. You don't have to teach my dog how to bark. You understand? Everything else that God has made automatically takes its place in the world and fulfills its divine purpose. They just do. They don't need lessons and they don't sin. They don't rebel. You don't see animals trying to be other animals. You don't see trees that refuse to make leaves in the spring. I mean, everything just simply, exactly as God created it. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. Verse 6. Everything in creation does this except for you and me. We're the only ones who absolutely refuse to take our intended place. We're supposed to simply recognize that we are dust, that God himself has blessed with his own breath, with his own spirit. He brings us to life and we live to serve him, but we refuse to serve him. We're created to praise him, but we will not praise him. Just, just take your intended place in the world. Fulfill your divine purpose. Find out what he's put in you. Figure out what he wants you to do, and you just do that. This is what praise is. You understand, all your life is to be praised. When we talk about hallelujah, when we talk about praise, it's not just coming to church and repeating a word like hallelujah. It's not just singing in church. I mean, certainly there's an, an, an amazing concert of praise that happens when we all get together. I mean, it's, it's like this amazing potluck of worship because each of us all week long is just simmering in the glory of God, praising him individually. But when we come together, it's just this amazing blending of, of all of our experiences and, and all of our perspectives on this God who is so infinitely, infinitely glorious. So when we come together, yeah, it's this amazing song of praise, but it doesn't start just because church started. It was already going on high above the heavens with everything else that God has made. And it doesn't stop when we say the final amen. All of your life is to be praised. That means in every moment of every day of your life, you, you live with awareness of this God who made you, this God to whom you owe your very breath. And this God who's created you for a purpose, and that purpose, among other things, is simply to praise him, to return the glory that is due to him. This is your whole life. Everything you do, whatever job you, you, you choose, whatever God calls you to, no matter how you fulfill your, your duty, you, you do it in such a way where it brings him praise. All your life is praise. And uh, you, you live for his pleasure, not your own. I know that sounds backwards because I think God wants us to have pleasure. I think God created us in this magnificent creation so that we could also enjoy it. But the thing is, you don't really find joy 
in creation by seeking joy in creation. You, you find joy in creation when you seek God, when you learn to connect your life to him, when you find your pleasure in his pleasure. Because it's not about you. None of this, your life, none of it's about you. It's not about you just dreaming a dream for your life and trying to figure out what you're going to do with your life and where you want to live and what you're going to do to make money. I mean, no. It's a God who made you. He made you especially for a purpose. But at the same time, it's not about you. The sooner you understand that it's not about you, the sooner you will begin to live this life of joy and praise. So, uh, if a tree falls in the woods, nobody's there to make a sound. Well, see, here's the flaw in that little question. It's the nobody's there part. The scripture makes it very, very clear that the trees stand and fall and even clap their hands, you understand, for the glory of the maker. There's not a single inch of this planet, not a single moment in time, not even a sparrow that falls that God himself does not attend the funeral. Understand? There's no such thing as a tree that falls and nobody's there. God himself is there. And everything that is, is created for his glory. And everything that is, is united in this great universal song of praise. Everything that God has made. Everything that God has made automatically joins this song. The only thing that God has made that withholds praise is uh, you and me. So that word, hallelujah, it's not just a word to, to say, hallelujah. You know, it's a command to be obeyed. Scripture says, praise the Lord. And so I encourage you with your whole life, with every breath, praise the Lord. Pray with me. God, everything that you have made is beautiful. And everything that you have made uh, lives within the boundaries that you have drawn for it. Oh God, the vastness of space, the smallness, Lord, of every detail of every cell of our bodies, Lord God, you have made it all. And you have made it perfectly and wonderfully. As it turns out, Lord, the only thing in all of creation that doesn't automatically return praise to you is uh, sinful men, women like us. God, there's something about our hearts. They simply refuse to roll over in praise to you, Lord. We grow hard-hearted. We refuse to praise the only God who is worthy. And, Lord, we begin to build our lives around smaller things, unworthy things, and we treat them as if they are most ultimately worthy. God, help us. We long to simply enjoy life that you've given us on, on this beautiful world, Lord. We, we long, Lord, simply to use our breath in such a way, Lord, where we fulfill our purpose, Lord. But we can never do that until we recognize that you are God, worthy of all of our praise, Lord, and we are created for your pleasure. So help us, Lord, to long to please you, to find out what pleases you, Lord, and to live our life, body, mind, and soul out of love and worship for you. It's not because you need it, but because, Lord, to praise you 
is our delight. Teach us, Lord, to find our delight in you. Pray these things in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.